0: they leading up to Jesus' death upon a cross. There's a few thoughts that I want to share with you about, about what was going on at that time. There's all sorts of things that could be said. There's probably a hundred sermons that could be preached. Picking up on different bits of what is shared in that particular part of the story of Jesus' crucifixion. The first thing that I want to pick up on is verse 26, where I began today with the reading that says, As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who, put, who was on his way in from the country, and they put a cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. I don't know if you know where Cyrene is, or at least where it was. There were people in Jerusalem that had come to celebrate the Passover, and they'd come from all over. They'd come from all over Israel, so there were various uh, Jew, Jewish folk there, but there was also various other folk, if you move forward to um, when you get to the time of Pentecost, we hear that there were people of different nations. With well, this, was a different time. But there were still those who spoke Hebrew and Greek, because that was how it was in those times. There were those that were part of the Roman Empire. We read about the centurion. His first language would have been different from the disciples. And then there's this man from Cyrene, who we know is called Simon. <coughs> Cyrene is in North Africa. It's in a place that we know as Syria. Now, hmm? I get that one right? No, it's not. It's <laughs> Libya. I was going through recent conflict in my head, goes, "No, oh, I've just said the wrong one. It's Libya." So there we have, at the centre of what was going on in Jesus' crucifixion, a man who's passing by, he's, he's on his way, way, way in from the country, we don't know, know what he's been doing, doing there, we, we don't know, know why he's ended up where he is, but interestingly, it's a man of African descent who was brought in, nobody, nobody asks questions, no one says, oh you no, you can choose him. They wouldn't have chosen a Roman to help carry Jesus' cross. They wouldn't have picked on somebody who was Jewish. They pick on somebody who is the lowest of the low. The person that you can just go, you, come here, do this job. Some things in history don't change. as guilty in our country in our denomination quite possibly I don't know, I don't know the history of this particular building and the people who've gathered here in the past but the story of our history is one where we have treated people who do not look like us in a way that is less than human. And here, at the centre, the story of Jesus, the innocent man, the innocent God-man, being dragged to his death, is a man who didn't look like everybody else, and who was used for a task that actually it was only the criminal that took their cross, We need to ask for forgiveness. The times in our lives when we have been like those who said, "You, you're a woman. You can do this job. You're not educated. You can do this job. You're from overseas. You can do this job." We don't want to do it. I don't know. I'm too good for that. I've been to university. I've got an education. I was born into a good home. I don't do that kind of thing. We need to search ourselves. And we need to ask ourselves, when have we not necessarily seized Simon? But when we have enabled that situation to occur. But the other thing is Simon was forced to take up his cross. Jesus didn't make a sound. He didn't protest when he was beaten and mocked. And Jesus chose. And when we are called to take up our cross and to lay down our, our own lives for the sake of others and for the gospel, it's not because God says, I'm going to seize you and make you do it. But it's because we see and know the love of God that We choose. To lay down our lives for the sake of others. There's no forcing that God does to coerce us or to make us do something. But it's when we fall in love with him that we choose to die with him, <laughs> with the hope of resurrection, not just for ourselves, but for others. Various people mocked Jesus. And there were two criminals that were hanging on a cross on either side of Jesus. I, can't, I don't know how far apart they were. I don't know how they mocked him. I don't know how much shouting was going on. Can't imagine they were close enough to go, Excuse me. So, of course, this conversation's heard. And you've got one. Who's mocking Jesus. And another. Another who knows that he is supposed to be hanging on that cross because of what he's done. That criminal who's maybe murdered someone. They didn't dish out crucifixion willy-nilly. You had to have done stuff. You had to have been tried. He knew that he was at fault. looked across at Jesus even in that moment where he's hanging in the pain and the agony and all the mocking that's been going on and I suspect they were mocked as well because that's all part of the process look at you, you're not looking at in that moment he turns to Jesus and Jesus says welcome so it doesn't matter what's gone on before. It's about the now. It's about the moment where she comes face to face. <coughs> however that works out. When you seek Jesus honestly and say can I be with you He says yes. And the third thing about this passage is the centurion at the end. He's been there. He's seen the mocking. He's seen all the stuff that's gone on. Possibly been part of it himself. I don't know. But he's there, standing guard, making sure nobody tries to take the bodies off the cross, make sure the death actually happens. (coughs) And in Luke it says, the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. In some of the other Gospels, it says, surely this was the Son of God. Even even as Jesus breathed his last at the very act of death and the way that he died this is before the resurrection this is before the bit where we can get excited about it this is the worst moment he doesn't come off the cross and go angry and breathes his last the centurion looking up at him recognises God. Sometimes we search for God in all kinds of places even those of us who are Christians and claim to follow Jesus we still try and find God in all sorts of weird and wonderful places. try and feel closer to God by going somewhere or doing something. Even in that moment of death God's glory shines through. Which I just think is incredible. Because for the others who are watching and as we read about the disciples as it goes forward, they They go off to a room and they're hiding away and they're afraid and they're thinking, this is it, it's all over. So those that have followed him for three years have given up. And yet a centurion who hasn't followed him and sees him die thinks, this this is it. God works in mysterious ways. We know what happens a few days later. We know that the women arrive at the tomb. And they find the stone is rolled away. And Jesus' body is not there. And he is alive. He is alive. And this table. This table helps us to remember. Just as the poppies help us to remember... the horrendous, horrendous impact of war. Bread and wine help us to remember what Jesus went through. In the laying down of his life. He didn't just do it quietly. He didn't just get into bed and fall asleep. He was mocked. He was abused. He was mocked by a criminal that knew he shouldn't be there. And yet, he chose to die that we might live. So when we come to this table, and sometimes it's described as a feast, well, it's not a feast in sense of a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine. And it is a feast. It's a feast spiritually. It's a feast of being able to say, Jesus loves me. And I get to wallow in that love. And in that hope and in that resurrection. It's not that just that Jesus is alive. But it's that you and I get to live. Doesn't mean that there's going to be less suffering. Do you know what? I'm still going to suffer. But. But. But in my suffering, whatever that might be, there is hope. going to show you a couple more pictures from my time in Flanders this is the place we stayed it's a place called Talbot House or Everyman's Club it's in Pokering. and it was kind of a oh, it was a safe haven if you got a day off from the trenches you'd get to go here and you'd hang out and the rule was everybody that walked through the door was equal so whether you were one of the generals whether you were one of the lowly men in the trenches you walked through the door and your rank was left at the door everyone was equal and for many it was the first time they sat beside somebody of a different class to their own when men who had no education and been down the mines sat beside those who lorded over them They learned from one another. They played games together. They had fun together. There were some beautiful gardens there. They could still hear the sounds of war. And upstairs, it's not the greatest or clearest of pictures, there is this chapel. They were told they couldn't have a chapel up there because the floor would fall in. So the way they put the seats was over the beams so as to make sure that it wouldn't fall in. And this chapel, for many, was the place that they had their first and their last communion. They would go and sharing communion together. People of all different ranks. People, whether they are having communion their first time and just come to faith, were just confirmed because they were likely to be Anglican. Whether they'd been taking communion a while and they were going off to the trenches, never to return. That's where they shared their first and their last communion. And so we are going to share in communion. I'm going to read some words from Luke I'm going to break the bread and the wine is here and I'm going to invite you to come forward I'm not going to serve you you may choose to serve one another you may come up with family members or friends and actually choose to serve each other you may just choose to come quietly and take some bread and some wine for yourself you may if you Don't share in communion, because you don't feel able to. Just wish to come and have a quiet moment. Then the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owners of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you.